And that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg. You will rest in peace. Basketballs don't hold grudges. He got a bicycle. Welcome to the WrestleCube. Well, sort of. Not exactly. Um, so, my name's Tom Mimner, as you probably recall if you've ever listened to this before. Um, and basically, uh, we recorded, so today is Thursday, uh, the 29th of June, uh, a few days after AEW Forbidden Door, and a few days before um, WWE Money in the Bank, live from London. And last night we recorded a podcast uh, with myself, Daniel Akinbola and Mike Lacumis. Uh, unfortunately, we've had something of a technical issue and all of the audio is completely unusable, which is just tremendous, as I'm sure you understand. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some thoughts, uh, try and fill in some of the wonderful conversation that we had last night, um, just so you got a little something because we, we worked really hard on that. And then hopefully what we'll do is uh, you might hear some contributions from my colleagues, um, my wonderful, wonderful colleagues uh, on this podcast. And then hopefully what we're going to do is do a, another podcast in a few weeks, uh, running down what happened at Money in the Bank and looking forward to All In uh, in August. So, yeah, um, obviously this is not ideal. Uh, not for anybody really, uh, and just hearing me on my own is probably not as much fun as hearing three people have a chat, but this is the world we live in, this is where we are, so uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, right, so um, the first thing we covered was CM Punk returning to AEW television uh, with Collision uh, as part of CMFTR, which uh, Comforter or Comforter, depending on uh, how you want to pronounce it, and I've ruined everyone's day with that, I appreciate um, and we were just sort of discussing a bit about um, Punk's return and how you know how we feel like it's going to go. And you know, I think largely the consensus was that he is good for TV and he's returned seemingly as a heel, uh, a bit of a dickhead, which is you know probably the best version of CM Punk that you can get these days. Um, and also just yeah, kind of. I guess the uh, the kind of you know shit stirrer and kind of um, you know the classic CM Punk that we all uh, came to enjoy during his heel runs in previous companies. So yeah, I think it's good to have him back, and um, we'll see what happens. As for what happens with him backstage, who can say? But one thing it will not be is boring. So it's it's a good a good place to go from there, I think, uh, which is nice. So yeah, so moving on from uh, CM Punk's return, uh, we talked at length about Forbidden Door, and hopefully uh, when you listen to this, you'll also have some uh, <laughs> some brief opinions from, from Mike and Dan. Um, but I'll take you through my opinions quickly, and, and this, this is not going to be a long podcast because nobody wants to sit and listen to one person for you know an hour. It's very much going to be, let's, let's get a, you know, a little short thing out of this and something will be better than nothing and you might get a nice little bit at the end uh with all three of us that i managed to record and 
the one bit of audio I managed to salvage uh, from a disastrous experience, to be honest. Um, yeah, so the uh, we didn't talk at length about the pre-show, uh, and nor would I want to. This card was long enough as it was. Um, the show opened with MJF and Hiroshi Tanahashi, um, and I think... Uh, from my perspective, um, I quite enjoyed this for the most part, although it was kind of a nothing match. Uh, Tanahashi is definitely slowing down, and it's kind of a bit sad to see where he is now compared to, say, you know, a few years ago, but such is the way of these things, the miles on his body, and he deserves all the respect in the world as, you know, the at one time the sort of saviour of New Japan, really. So I think it, it's sort of fair enough if he's not quite uh, the performer he was, but, you know, he's still... Maybe he's looking a little old and whatever. And MJF is MJF. Um, you know, I think I agreed with with Mike and Dan very much that uh, while he is, you know, a solid performer and he's okay in the ring, um, the character work feels like it needs some development. Like, it's kind of a one-trick pony. And yes, that, that one-trick pony is him being a, a smug asshole and uh, he's better than you and all the rest of it. But unfortunately without further development of that character to add extra layers, it is a bit one note. And unfortunately, that one note is starting to become a little bit repetitive. Thankfully, the card picked up after that. We have CM Punk and Satoshi Kojima um, in the uh, Men's Owen Hart uh, Cup tournament. Um, again, Punk was on great form here, being uh, slyly being the heel, being a subtly, you know, and not so subtly being a bit of a dickhead generally not being particularly uh, magnanimous and respectful. Uh, but walked the line, though, of then towards the end of the match, after he'd actually beaten Kojima, uh, of then showing respect. So we're not quite a full heel yet, but you can still see that's the direction they're slowly teasing. And hopefully it's something that will tease out over the next few months till we get a full-blown rampaging heel CM Punk, uh, which should be tremendous. Uh, but, you know, a decent enough match... Um, if not, maybe a slightly slow start to this show. But that's fine because, you know, we then had a run. We, we, well, we had Orange Cassidy versus Zack Sabre Jr. versus Katsuhiro Shibata versus Daniel Garcia, which uh, in a four-way for the AEW International Championship, which, to be fair, was one of the best matches on the show, um, which is a high bar, as we'll get onto in a minute. Um, it was fast-paced. It, it, You know, uh, Mike mentioned in our previous recording that he feels like AEW do really, really good work when they do these multi-man matches, and they really do find a great balance with that, allowing people to shine and to, you know, to get everybody to get uh, something from this, even if they're not winning the match. And I think that's a really fair point. Um, here, I think everybody got a bit of shine. Um, I still find watching Shibata difficult because I'm worried that one wrong move and he's going to die but you know that's not my place to do that and hopefully over time we'll become more desensitised to that but yeah it's tricky with his history um, Orange Cassidy is again just phenomenal here um, just excellent and Zack Sabre Jr and, and Daniel Garcia are obviously uh, fantastic mat technicians great characters now so there was a lot here to enjoy and it was really fast paced and I think just all four men really put a shift in and it was it was really really fun uh, moving on we had Sonata versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry for the uh, IWGP World Heavyweight Championship uh, kind of a nothing match if I'm honest um, and I think the, the lads agreed um, very much a kind of you know uh, a showcase for Sonata and an excuse for Jungle Boy to turn heel. 
um, really just setting that up with his recent frustrations of not being able to win the AEW Heavyweight Championship uh, and then moving into to turning on Hook, uh, setting up that feud, which which should be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, was a, it, it was a nothing match, though, overall. And Sonata, I really enjoy him. I appreciate he's not everybody's cup of tea. Not everybody wants somebody who, at the moment, looks like they could have been a main eventer in New Japan in the mid-90s. But I'm, I'm into it. I quite enjoy it. Um, things I feel like picked up there after that uh, with the Elite, uh, Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii versus Blackpool Combat Club, uh, Konosuke Takashita and Shota Umino. Again, everyone put in an absolute shift here. Uh, everything was fantastic from start to finish. Uh, just really, really solid action all the way through. Great storytelling with Eddie Kingston's conflict between not wanting to fight John Moxley, his friend, uh, but also having his desperately uh, elongated hatred for Claudio Castagnoli uh, override that and his conflict between those two emotions. And it's wonderful. Um, you know, Hangman Page here was on great form, like the coolest motherfucker in the world. Uh, just really like, uh, and also doing some fantastic. Yeah, the the shooting star press on the uh, on the apron and the it just you know the moonsault that he always does that looks f- just phenomenal, um, especially for you know like a reasonably big guy. Like yeah, it's it's cool. Um, and yeah, I mean these guys, they just everyone put an absolute shift in. It is one of the best matches on the show. Uh, Takshita was. Um, treated like a really big deal as well, like it, and it, it felt like he would. They are certainly protecting him, which is great because I think he could be quite a big international star for AEW at this stage. So um, yeah, really interested to see how that moves forward. Uh, but just a great match, like one of the best matches on the show, maybe the best match on the show. I'm not sure. Um, that was followed up by Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale, who were in a bit of a tough spot because they were sandwiched between this uh, fantastic. 10-man tag and the uh, IWGP US Heavyweight Championship match, which, to be fair, it's going to be the one that we'll talk about in a minute, but that everybody's talking about coming out of this show. Um, Tony Storm, um, I think it's great. Willow Nightingale uh, has the potential to be phenomenal. She's just got such charisma and a really different look, and I think she brings so much to the table that could make her a huge star for AEW and or New Japan because she's working for both. So um, it was really fun. A bit short um, and probably, uh, yeah, probably a match that um, suffered from the going on after the 10-man tag. But, you know, that is the nature of these AEW shows. Um, and yeah, yeah, she was... Um, uh, both women did, did a really good job, even if it was a slightly cheap finish. Right, so moving on. Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega in something pretty, pretty epic, I would say, overall. Um, You know, I think we talked at length about this, and I'm not going to try and recapture all of the information that me and uh, Dan and uh, Mike talked about. Excuse me, just having a sip of water there. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it, it was a phenomenal, very New Japan-style match. Um... You know, it was violent, it was personal, um, it felt like it had stakes attached to it. It really felt like both men were, you know, really giving it their all. There were some huge spots. Um, I mean, I loved the one-winged angel by Osprey, uh, and then Omega kicking out at one, uh, which is, you know, a traditional uh, Japanese spot, and uh, absolutely phenomenal. The foot on the rope, um, 
from from Kenny after the Stormbreaker, I believe it was, uh, was was just fantastic. Um, and just generally, I think they really like you know they really had the crown in the palm of their hand throughout this and took it to another level. Um, and Osprey winning obviously sets up a potential trilogy, and I don't know whether that's going to be all in at Wembley or at the Tokyo Dome in New Japan, uh, for New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, but certainly you get the feeling that we're going for a third time here uh, at some stage. But yeah, just probably uh, a contender for match of the year. Maybe more so than their match at the, at the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom just because of the heat for the for this from the crowd and the kind of the the feeling of personal animosity between them that they conveyed well i mean i don't think that's actually a real thing in real life but certainly uh they they certainly brought a lot of emotion to the table and i think that really does help um in this scenario um next up we had uh, uh sting darby allen and tetsuya naito versus the suzuki gods so chris jericho sammy guevara and minoru suzuki in front of a crowd who at this point i think were a little bit burnt out if i'm honest and maybe that is a problem um, this was kind of a nothing match. Naito was wearing a t-shirt, which is normally a pretty good indication that he's not putting a full shift in. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Minoru Suzuki obviously got a big pop coming out to Kazanina Ray. Um, and you know, uh, it was, it was good. Yeah. For the most part, it was, it was fine. Um, but the crowd were dead cause they were just exhausted. Um, and then, yeah, we had um, the main event of the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, coming out to the final countdown, which was, was a nice uh, a nice thing, given he used to historically come out to that song, uh, against Kazuchika Okada, the Rainmaker, um, in a pretty decent 20-minute match, um, especially when you consider that Brian Danielson clean broke one of the bones of it in his arm 10 minutes in and carried on, which is in his forearm, which is pretty, pretty spectacular. Um yeah, yeah, just a genuine back and forth master class up to a point. But it, the crowd was so burnt out by this point, I really think it damaged it. Um, and I think if you'd swap this on the card with Osprey and Omega, I think you end up with a more invested crowd because there were stakes attached to this. Whereas this was a dream match, but I don't think it had the same kind of emotional attachment, um, you know, in the, because there's no real you know, personal story between the two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate. But um, yeah, it, and it certainly, uh, I think the circumstances within the match meant that it probably wasn't what it could have been. But hopefully um, they're building to a rematch. Obviously you don't tap out Okada without there being, you know, for the first time since 2015, I believe it is, uh, without there being some sort of plan for him to come back even stronger. And maybe Okada versus Danielson at the Tokyo Dome in January is where we're going with that. But we shall see. Um, overall, a, you know, a very creditable show with two or three really good matches um, and lots of other stuff which were ranged from either totally fine to pretty good. So, I mean, you know, not a bad show at all, um, I think, overall. And one that with at least a couple of matches that I feel like we'll be talking about for a long time to come. So, you know, you can't really say fairer than that. Hello, Cuboids and cubes out there in the cubeland. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Forbidden Door, the AEW uh, versus NJPW Forbidden Door show that AEW did the other day. Uh, uh, overall, a good show. 
Um, some really uh, high standout matches in the show. I didn't bother with the zero hour uh, kind of kickoff show because uh, religiously I uh, I cannot watch a kickoff show. It just goes against everything I believe, and uh, I would be damned to internal damnation if I did watch it. So sorry uh, for those of you that do enjoy wasting your time with garbage. Uh, you know, I'm not one of them. Uh, one of those kind of people. So uh, first match though to kick off the actual show was uh, MJF versus Tanahashi, which I thought was a very uh, kind of uh, shit match, to be honest. Uh, I didn't enjoy it whatsoever. The The crowd uh, had so much heat when the, the match first started, but for some reason it seemed like they were trying to intentionally drain the heat from the crowd. There was so much bullshit in the beginning of this match with them running around and and actually not doing any wrestling and, you know, MJF being like, ah, I'm not interested and blah, blah, blah. And when they finally did get into the match, it was kind of too late uh, to go back. So uh, to get that heat from the crowd. So wasn't a big fan of this one. Uh, I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of MJF in general. Um, so, yeah, disjointed match. And, and I was thinking, you know, was there some kind of language barrier or something? Had they never worked together? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, did not enjoy that whatsoever. It, it was kind of shit. Uh, the match after that then, we had CM Punk uh, versus Satoshi Kojima, uh, which was part of the uh, Owen Hart's uh, Tournament Cup thingy-majiggy. And, uh, you know, not as big as a pop as I was expect for, for CM Punk, considering how big he is. I guess, um, you know, this is Toronto, it's not Chicago, so maybe the uh, that has a, a difference. I'm thinking, is there some... I mean, clearly there's some kind of ill will with the AEW fans, but... Uh, I know he's a heel, but the heat, I don't know, it seemed a bit off. Uh, one thing I'd like to know, I do enjoy the way the Japanese announcer says, CM Punk, which is just, just so much better, so much better than CM Punk. So, yeah, I think everything said by a Japanese announcer uh, just sounds better. So I'd like my name said by a Japanese announcer every time I, I enter a Zoom call or something. Maybe I'll get an AI to do that. But... Uh, yeah, uh, it was a it was a good match. I like I liked the popping of the pecs, um, you know. But if I could pop my pecs, I would. But flapping about my moobs doesn't seem like something anybody wants to see. So, yeah, good match though. Uh, it was fine, you know, nothing special. Good, solid match. Uh, after that, we had the um, international uh, championship match, which was a four way match with Orange Cassidy, freshly squeezed, Zach Zaku Saber Junior. Uh, Katsuyori Shibata and Daniel Garcia. Uh, that was a good match. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy anything Orange Cassidy does. That kind of half thumbs up is kind of how I want to thumbs up from now on in. That's just great. And I love the kind of, you know, lazy kicks he did and everything and the crowd going into it. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah, lots of, lots of cool stuff um, in this match. Um, some really cool interactions between um, Shibata and, and Zack Sabre Jr. Really skillful stuff, and, and I really enjoyed the finish. So, yeah, good match. Um, but after that, we really started to kick up, uh, or, you know, kick it up a notch? Yeah, kick it up a notch. Um, we had the 10-man tag, uh, which was uh, the Elite, uh, consisting of um, uh, Hangman, Page, uh, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Eddie Kingston, and Tomo, uh, Tomohiro Ishii uh, 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 versus the Blackpool Combat Club, which was John Moxley, Wheeler Yuta, Claudio Castanoli, uh, Takeshita, and 
Shota Umino, I think, I hope I said that right, fantastic match, like, some of the stuff that the guys do in these matches is unbelievable, like, the, the interplay between everyone, the crispness, like, the inventiveness of the, of the shoots, uh, oh, sorry, of the, of the spots, like, this is just one of those, one of those matches you watch and you just like, this is why I watch professional wrestling, and if I was going to show professional wrestling to anyone, even if they were skeptical about it, this is the match I would show them, because there's no way... You can watch this and not go, this is entertaining. This was just unbelievably entertaining. So much athleticism on display. Uh, there was a couple of things that I really enjoyed, like the, the Hangman's page is uh, shooting star off the apron. That was insane. The, you know, all of the chops and stuff, like the whole chop fest they, they did. Um, yeah, watching, uh, I think it was, um, was it Takashita? Uh, hit that, uh, was it the Blue Thunderbomb? I love that, that was amazing. And yeah, just just so many great sequences. So absolutely epic match. Um, probably my match of the show, um, but pro but it may be tied with the match after this, which was uh, well, not the match after this. Match after this was the, the 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 women's world championship match, which I can't say I was particularly interested in. I don't particularly know many of these um, uh, wrestlers. Um, I hadn't really been following AEW's women wrestlers. Or at least the wrestlers, wrestlers that I remember when I was following it properly, uh, um, are not these wrestlers. So I didn't really have much uh, understanding of, of the characters and everything. So I couldn't quite get into the match. Um, but it, it, from what you know, it, it was a good match and um, oh, fairly short though. So it was kind of a bit of a, I guess you could say it was a palate cleanser. I guess between uh, the, these two big ma matches, but it was good from from, you know, from what I remember. Um, so yeah, the next match then would probably might be tied for the best match on the show, and that was uh, Will Ospreay and, and Kenny Omega, and this is you know uh, for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. But if, yeah, it, this felt like um, this felt like the main event. Um, this match was you know uh, these two are arguably the two biggest wrestlers outside of the WWE. Like this is the dream match. This is the yeah this is this is the pinnacle. I guess you would say so. Watching these two go at each other was was a pleasure. For me, uh, you know, um, we spoke earlier with Thomas. He might mention it in his section that yes, this is a very Jap Japanese style match. So the 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 build up is very very long. Which maybe for me it was a bit too long. But I, I guess if you're really into that thing, then it's you know the payoff. It works right. You have to have that long run up to to have that epic crescendo. So. Yeah, uh, very, very long. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of all the blood. Um, but that, that's just me being being an old loser now, I guess. It was kind of, I was just kind of like, ew, it's covered in blood and the blood's all mixing with each other. Ew, that can't be, that can't be sanitary. But uh, there were some really, really cool moments in here, like um, uh, Kenny Omega kicking out the one-wing angel, but not only that, kicking out in one, which I thought was just epic. So, uh, and that's just so much cooler than 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 your kind of near fall. So I, I thought it was a really nice twist on that. Um, there was a really cool one-wing angel to German suplex, which was sick. And yeah, just this match was just uh, epic. And, and in the end, yeah, it, it is kind of for me. It's just a notch below the ten-man tag. And that's mostly because of the pacing issues, but your mileage may vary depending on how patient you are. My mind has been destroyed by TikTok and, well, I don't use TikTok, but Instagram reels and YouTube shorts and stuff. So maybe I've just completely lost the ability to pay attention to anything for more than three seconds. Uh, after this was the, uh, I think it was the uh, tag match between Sting, 
uh, yeah, it was a six-man tag between Sting and uh, his crew and uh, Jericho, Sammy Guevara, Minoru Suzuki. This was this this happened. Um, it was a really interesting tidbit that it was the first match that Chris Jericho and Sting have ever actually had together, which was shocked me. I I mean, I've, I've kind of just imagined that it would happen at WCW or something, but no, it was interesting. Um, and you know, it was. It, once again, another palate cleanser, the exact same as the as the women's championship match. This was just something to happen to to take uh, to give people a chance to catch their breath before the actual main event, uh, which was Daniel Bryanson versus uh, Kazuchika Okada, and this match for me was a was a huge disappointment. But uh, understanding the extenuating circumstances of, of Daniel Bryanson breaking his uh, or Brian Danielson so <laughs> breaking his arm uh, you know minutes into the match then you can understand and and given that <laughs> uh, my initial opinion was like man this match sucks but given the fact that he did it uh, with a broken arm I actually changed my opinion like wow unbelievable um so yeah a uh, bit of a disappointment I guess in some ways one the crowd was too tired because they've been sat there for a billion years of having to watch an hour kickoff show and then I think there was some stuff before then and going through this emotional roller coaster of all these different matches I think by then the crowd was completely done um and also yeah you know they couldn't really go as hard as they wanted to but um I did enjoy the finish I always like a, a submission ending I like when matches just kind of end there's no huge build-up or there's no like a million kickouts I like when people just kind of win sometimes um, but yeah, uh, overall, I think this is a, a good show. Um, the 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 highs were very high, the lows were kind of meh, but a uh, good show, uh, uh, hampered maybe by um, some unfortunate circumstances. Um, but yeah, Forbidden Door, uh, I'd say probably three out of five, and uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend checking it out. So yeah, that's me. Catch you later. What's up everyone, Mike LeCubis here, just thought I'd drop in to give you a few of my thoughts on AW Forbidden Door. So <clears throat> I think like everyone, I was blown away by Omega and Osprey. I think you have to start there. I think they topped their New Japan match. The level of violence was incredible and it was just a much better told story for me than the first one, whereas the first one bordered on the realms of unrealistic and it kind of took me out of it some of the things they did i thought this one they towed the line a lot better and it was a massive epic um just to go back to the start it was a little it was a little strange to see tanahashi in the opening match on the card and he looked a bit slow he looked a bit off the pace i think for once he looked a bit old i think he's been quite um timeless tana but maybe it's time for him to settle into that yuji nagata role of just kind of being one of the one of the old heads on the roster. Um, I thought Punk and Kojima was decent. Punk's heel mannerisms, as I think Tom's talked about, were really good, were really good, really fun. Quite enjoyed seeing that. Kojima's quite a good hand in a singles match as well, which I think he doesn't get many much play for that anymore, but he is. Um, another massive highlight, of course, which I know we all liked, was the 10-man tag match with the Elite. Um just really fun just i think dan said this when we spoke previous these are the kind of matches that you come to aew for things that wwf just doesn't do wwe just doesn't do those big 10 mans big six mans where the pace is flying and it reminds me of the old like dragon gate japan dragon gate usa stuff that we used to see of course with the young bucks as well 
So I thought that was really great. I mean, my favourite match was still Osprey and Omega, but then it's probably the 10-man coming in second. Uh, I also I also enjoyed the main event. I thought it was good. I thought they're laying groundwork for a sequel that hopefully takes place at Wrestle Kingdom. And if it wasn't for the injury to Brian, I'm assuming it would have been a, more of an epic finish because it did feel a bit flat. And like it's been said... Um, the crowd was was gassed out from the Osprey Omega match, so it was hard for them to kind of pull them back in. I think it's hard to put uh, like a technical showpiece after you do such a high stakes blood feud. So probably the card, uh, Tony Khan and Carl should have should have looked at the booking of that and probably switched the places round on the card. But like I said, I I pretty much I I enjoyed the match. You could see they were going somewhere with it. It was just a little slow. I mean, it's incredible that Okada tapped out. He hasn't tapped out for like, did I read the stat, like five years or something? And despite Brian's broken arm, I thought it looked pretty vicious, the submission that he did catch him in at the end. So hopefully more to come from that. Um, did like the international title match, I think that's what it's called, with Sabre, Cassidy. That was good as well. Um, and then I think the rest of the card was a little bit forgettable, but when you have... A card where half of it is really good or good, then you can definitely say that that show overall is really good. So I'd say really good show for Bill and Door. Would definitely recommend it. And looking forward to see what they do for the Wembley show. Because potentially maybe pick up some rematches there for now. I don't know. Do we get Osprey and Omega 3 there? Maybe unlikely, but it would be a big avenue, a big stage for them to do that on. So yeah, let's see. Right, so moving on, um, we've got Money in the Bank from London this weekend. Um, and although you won't have heard this, because obviously our audio files are terrible. Um, I say the audio files are terrible. The audio is actually fine. It's that the files were lost because the recording program we used uh, completely malfunctioned. Um, and we won't be using it anymore, put it like that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, lessons have been learned. Um, so hence why you're having to listen to this mini episode rather than a full-fledged Wrestle Cube Bonanza, as it were. So yeah, it, it's not ideal, but such is life. Um, and I will keep harping on about this. I'm afraid. Um, yeah. So uh, WWE Money in the Bank. Um, it looks like a really strong card. Um, obviously, it's a big pay per view for them. Uh, Mike uh, will be in attendance at both SmackDown and Money in the Bank. So we're hoping we're going to get some exclusive content from him uh, in the aftermath of this, and then we can do uh, a sort of post show as well uh and we can compare and contrast our uh experiences of watching it from home uh with his experience of being there live in person which should be really cool um the show itself yeah really strong card um the men's ladder match we've got ricochet versus shinsuke nakamura versus la knight versus santos escobar versus pete dunn slash butch uh versus damian priest versus logan paul uh, in a Money in the Bank ladder match. Um, it's interesting. I don't see Ricochet or Nakamura getting the win here, or Escobar particularly. Pete Dunne, they'll tease it because he's English and the event is happening in England. But um, realistically, I think your three choices, and I think we agreed on this uh, when we recorded originally, are probably LA Knight, who is very over now, Damian Priest, who obviously is in line for a big push, uh, or Logan Paul. Now, 
I, I suggested Logan Paul for the simple reason that um, because he's sort of a part-time guy, he can essentially he can fly off around the world doing whatever else he's doing with that money in the lang- in the bank ladder match uh, briefcase. Now, if he's got the briefcase, that's great exposure for WWE. It's great cross-promotional things and all the rest of it. But it also means that he's not around. So when he does show up to try and cash in, it could be a genuine surprise. So it brings an element of jeopardy uh, with champions throughout the company all looking over their shoulder all the time because he could come from anywhere, anytime. Um, In a way that having somebody who you know is in the arena maybe doesn't so much. So I feel like there's there's a lot they could do with that. Personally, I'd like LA Knight to get it. I think he's ready. I think um he's sort of like he's he's almost peaking too late in his career. So I obviously I appreciate that he while he has many years in front of him, not as many years as he probably should have. It took him quite a long time to get to this level. Um wrongly because when he was Eli Drake, he obviously still had all the tools and I think uh, people who watched Impact at the time and then watched him in the NWA a few years ago know that he uh, obviously should have been at this level already. But we are at a point where, you know, time is ticking. So I'd like to see him win and cash in pretty quickly and get get a title run. But we shall see. They have definitely been pushing the idea that the title can be cashed in, the, the, sorry, the briefcase can be cashed in on any champion, not just the world champion. So that obviously opens up a different bit of scope there. Um and yeah, but although I hope they keep this away from Gunther for reasons I'll get into in a bit. Um, the women's money in the back ladder match, you've got Zelina Vega versus Becky Lynch versus Zoe Stark versus Bailey versus EO Sky versus Trish Stratus. Um, I think there was a resounding uh, consensus uh, among the three of us that Trish Stratus should probably just go away now for a bit because this, this run hasn't been great. Um, Zelina Vega has just come off a, a loss of, uh, not that long ago to Rhea Ripley in pretty decisive fashion. I can't see her getting the nod. Um, Becky Lynch doesn't need it. Bailey doesn't need it. So it's really down to Zoe Stark or Io Sky. Stark is very new to the main roster, so I can't see her getting it. And Io Sky winning it obviously allows for a continuation of the tension storyline within damage control between her and Bailey. And then eventually, when Dakota Kai comes back, the uh, the possibility of her then who who will she side with leading up to a title match at WrestleMania, uh, in, you know, down the line eventually after Sky is presumably successfully cashed in. Um, yeah, so I I do think there's there's something to be said for that, and it, she seems like the obvious logical choice. Um, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler versus Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez is very hard to get invested in. To be honest, um, I just find Rousey and Baszler at this stage. Um, an act that I find very hard to kind of really enjoy on any level. They're, they're just sort of there, and I think both are very stale at this stage. And Morgan and Rodriguez are just a sort of thrown-together tag team. I don't... Yeah, there's not much to this story for me. Um, Cody Rhodes versus Dominic Mysterio should be really fun, because uh, I imagine that uh, Mysterio is getting booed out of the building, and Cody's going to be over like Rover with the, with the UK crowd, so that could be a really fun dynamic. Um... Gunther versus Matt Riddle. Um, anyone who watched Progress back in back in the day uh, will know the sort of wars these two are capable of together, and they've only become better performers since then. You know there are reasons, maybe not to like one of the competitors here, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but um, uh, I'll try and take my personal feelings out of that and very much focus on the uh, in ring as much as possible. Um, but yeah, um, so Gunther. 
Uh, but Gunther, I would imagine, retains here simply because um, he is closing in very rapidly on being the all-time longest reigning IC champion. Um, and given that it's currently held by the Honky Tonk Man, who you know you can't do a lot with, I would say the the choice is pretty clear. Like, give him a few more months, and then you move him up to the world title picture. Um, speaking of the world title, um, although sorry, I should say. Uh, I think it was also agreed by consensus that this could be a sleeper match of the night between Gunther and uh, Matt Riddle because they do have incredible chemistry, both really physical guys who are very happy to kind of lay it, lay it all out there. Um, and it could be like a really physical, really, really fun match. Um, Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor will undoubtedly be an absolute banger. Um, their matches before have always been great. Both are really, really solid in the ring. Balor's character work at the moment is kind of um, it's great but uh, it's missing something and I'm not sure what so um, it's interesting to see where this goes um, and obviously there's should they go the direction of Damian Priest winning the ladder match you obviously then have the tension here of would he cash in on Finn Balor and what what, what you know does he want Balor to win and if you're going to go down that road with the judgment day that is also an option on the table for you so some interesting dynamics there um, finally we have the bloodline uh, versus the bloodline uh, so Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa versus the Usos in a bloodline civil war tag team match which you imagine would go on last on this show um, I sort of posited last night when we were recording originally that I think that uh, there might be a big swerve here now whether it's the introduction of some new members of the bloodline and we get a sort of uh, rejig of, of that or it's Solo turning on Reigns or whether it's um somehow Jimmy turning on Jay and it turns out he was in it the whole time with the bloodline and, and you know I don't know I really don't know I just have a feeling we're getting a bit of a, some sort of swerve here If it definitely feels like something is up um, and, and we'll see what happens but yeah I definitely feel like there's there's something of interest going to happen out of this match and this saga while it's starting to, to wind down um, we and we're getting into the kind of you know into the the sort of end point of it or the beginning of the end of it I do feel like there's still more to come from this and maybe uh, we're getting a big swerve here but whatever happens it is guaranteed to be a fantastic match with another chapter in it in the best story in wrestling and yeah like it should be fantastic um, I, I mean this card on paper looks great I think it's going to be a really hot crowd and I just I fail to see how it's not going to be an excellent show um, we'll see won't we um, I I will be it's it's uh, it, it might be my birthday this weekend so uh, I may have had a few beers by the time this starts but uh, I'm sure I will have plenty to report back on um, and we look forward to hearing from Mike about what uh, what his experiences are um, from this show and and yeah they're talking to him about about what it's like being there in person for this um, it should be great um, yeah and that's about it really um, uh, I want to add that we um, we do have our uh, website of course now uh, rescue.com where there's lots and lots of content going up there uh, throughout June we've been looking back at the King of the Rings so the top five worst King of the Rings top five best King of the Rings uh, I look back at King of the Ring 1998 with the, uh, on the 25th anniversary of the Hell in a Cell match with Mankind and the Undertaker uh, as well as a look back at the very first King of the Ring from 1993 uh, which was eventful in itself for a number of reasons. Um, so please do go and check that out. Um, you can obviously reach, uh, find all of our social media information there as well, uh, links to previous episodes and all different platforms where you can listen to and enjoy previous episodes of The Rescue Cube. Um, and yeah, um, 
you know, find us on Twitter and uh, Instagram at WrestleCube. We're uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash WrestleCube. And hopefully we'll have some exciting news coming up in the next few months about uh, where else you can find us. So stay tuned for that. Um, for now, I just want to apologise again that you're getting uh, a sort of slightly substandard thrown together episode of this rather than the kind of uh, big extravaganza that we actually planned for. But hopefully this will tide you over for a bit and we'll have something a bit more exciting coming up in the next few weeks. Um, for now, um, again, WrestleCube.com. Um, and I just wanted to say um, a big thank you both to Mike and Dan for, uh, <laughs> and apologies for, for making them record a podcast that no one will ever hear. Uh, but also um, just um, a thank you to you all for, for bearing with us during this. Um, lovely. Well, um, we will see you all down the road. Everyone say bye. Bye.